a Highline podcast. We live in a complicated and fascinating world that invites us to dive deep into its intricacies. Exploring the ideas and events that excite, intrigue, irritate, and confound us is how we graduate our knowledge beyond meme culture. Join us over a cocktail as we expand our understanding and share in the beauty we find along the way. I'm Stephen Torna. I'm Kat Dwyer. And I'm Stephen Henning. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench. It's December. Yes, it is. And it's hot and there's fires. I and, know what uh, and there was a huge wildfire yeah. and it was 60 degrees today. Yeah. But are you guys getting into the Christmas music? Uh, yes. Today I cleaned my room. Um, smells great. This morning. Jordan Peterson would be proud. It actually looks really good right it now. It does. I, 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 I've seen it in months. <laughs> I threw away a ton of stuff. That's a compliment. The last couple of days and also got rid of some more clothes. Just cleaned some stuff up. And you were listening to Christmas music while you yeah. did this? Nice. Mm. Okay. Listen to Josh Girl's Christmas. Okay. And then I listened to just some radio, much of good Christmas music. Nice. It was delightful. Really nice. And then I... got a Christmas tree and Oh, yes. Yeah, the tree looks good. I'm gonna get one this weekend. I my Christmas spirit this year has been to actually buy people Christmas presents. In Aww. years past, I'm kind of like Aww. you know. I bought Torna a present last year because I missed his birthday. And then I got my boyfriend presents. Mm-hmm. But I haven't really, like, my presents to my friends, we've always joked. It's like our presents to each other is not having to buy each other a present, you know? Right. Like my mm-hmm. best friend back home. Yeah. And my family just kind of, like, knew I was, like, broke and couldn't buy anything. I'd always buy stuff for my nieces. But anyway, <laughs> this year I was, like, decided to go all out. Yep. I got everyone gifts. Going totally broke. It. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then it's like, I have though. to get really nice wrapping paper because oh, I've yes. got a thing about wrapping paper and ribbon and all oh, of a sudden okay. it's a lot. I don't but. do gifts that much, but I will say I am a pretty good present wrapper. Yeah. I like, I like, make, and it doesn't have to be like, I, I can make a box look good with mm-hmm. like brown paper. Totally. But yeah, it's got to be nice clean, black ribbon, clean seams mm-hmm. in a perfect world i learned how to do the crazy tapeless wrapping method with like the f- fancy folds and tucks and yeah but wow that would be cool i don't have time for that try to hide the tape yeah definitely hide At the minimum tape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I like, are you i in like the a Christmas reliable spirit? gift bag for me personally. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> I will buy boxes so I don't have to use a gift <laughs> if I can't wrap the thing. Trusty. I am almost the complete opposite. Oh, yeah, no. I just buy a pack of like that really thin packing paper, you know. <laughs> uh, but then I'm like the asshole who, when people are opening their presents afterwards, I'm like, "Can I take that ribbon and the paper back?" <laughs> like, oh, wait, wait, you expect people to open their presents nice? Well, and, like fold up the paper. Yeah, keep it. I, I, mean, I open them if they can. <laughs> I open real pretty. Yeah, I don't tear. I, I like, tried to in the past, and literally my family's like, "What are you doing?" Right. Nice. <laughs> They're like, "Rip open your present." I was like, "Okay." Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Amazing. So my my uh, the happy medium in the uh, the Henning house for Christmas music is I can't stand most Christmas music. Um, Agreed. And Dixie can't stand my metal music, but <laughs> August Burns Red puts out instrumental Christmas albums. 
Dorna made me listen to those last year. <laughs> yeah. Or some of it. Some and of it, yeah. yeah. It's the happy medium for Dixie and I. I'm like, this is metal-ish, but it's Christmas-ish, and it's good enough for all of us. There you go. So we've been jamming that, and uh, we set up the tree day after Thanksgiving, I think, were those mm-hmm. people. Um, nice. But it's, so it's been a tradition since we got married that every trip we go on, we get ourselves a Christmas ornament. So oh. for setting up the tree, our tradition is um, for every or- ornament we pick out of the box and unwrap and put on the tree, we have to like identify what trip it came from and then say like one good thing we remember from the trip as we That's put it fine. on the tree. That's good. Yeah. We were joking the other day because we set up our tree and we've got like a few little cheapo bulb ornaments. Right. Yeah. I think Caleb, he was like, man. We really need some girlfriends so they can buy it, so they can buy <laughs> totally. us Christmas ornaments. <laughs> That's funny. Amazing. We need girls. Oh yeah, fair. My boyfriend yeah. and I actually, well, I stole this idea from my sister, but she and her girls would always buy, well, she would buy her girls an ornament every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she jokes that like when they turn 18 and leave or whenever they leave, they're not she her tree will be barren. I'm trying to remedy that. Hopefully she doesn't listen to this episode. But anyway, no. but um, but my boyfriend and I are starting that tradition this year, which will be fun. Sweet. Because we mm. don't really have any ornaments. I was like lights and tinsel last year. Nice. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like a vintage The vibe. only reason that we have any ornaments is because we had a tree with just lights and then uh, Addie and Liza and Anna saw it. Yeah. They came Fix over. that real quick. They brought over like <laughs> ornaments and- some little mini stockings and nice. Oh, yeah, those are cute. Yeah, so we tinsel is them, so yeah. hard to clean up. Cat, <laughs> how did you? How much did you hate that? Oh, maybe I used like fake tinsel because it was just like a long, fluffy strand of gold, shimmery stuff. Oh, that's that you all connected wrapped? and is not. Yeah, and I wrapped. Them oh, okay. Yeah. I was imagining all these tiny little strands of like metal. No, strand. that I would. I hate that. That shit sucks. <laughs> I, we no, did that our no, first no, no. year being married and never again. Yeah. Never again. No My way. My sister always, whenever she mails packages to people, she always like puts confetti in them, which is like cute, Why? but also a nightmare. Because <laughs> <laughs> you open it and it's like, fuck, there's just confetti Why? everywhere. I hate peanuts, like packing peanuts. Oh, yeah. Like bad enough. I can't imagine something finer. Yeah, and it just sticks. Every, you find it for yeah. like ever. That's like yeah. filling a present box with glitter. Right. Exactly. Ooh, I don't listen to me, guys. No one take that idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a bad idea. That's borderline evil. That's a gift <laughs> wrapped in a curse. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. That's no good. <laughs> oh. um, if anyone's listening that has a beard and they've ever even accidentally got glitter in their beard, oh, it like never comes out. <laughs> just have to shave. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Look like a bearded yeah. vampire from Breaking Dawn. Breaking Dawn. That's not the. What's what? the? What's the? Breaking Bad. No, Breaking. the glittery vampire show. Um, I have no idea. Twilight. Edward and why did I think Breaking? That's one of the books. Is Breaking? Oh, Dawn. is it Breaking Dawn? Yeah, but I couldn't think of, of Twilight. Twilight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oops. There it is. Whatever. I thought maybe Breaking Dawn was like the sequel to 
broke back mountain. Or no, Breaking Dawn is, I think, the <laughs> second. We broke the mountain. Now we're Breaking, breaking Dawn. Dawn. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. Oh, yikes. All right. Well, we, this is. We got shots we, lined we up. Have, shots, so. We have no guests today. Uh, famously, the tradition that Alex lined up was the guest shot. But. Oh, right. Yeah, frankly, I had a week at work and I just felt like. <laughs> drinking extra tonight so okay I, like I was it. already planning on like cracking open a beer yeah after this after our cocktails which I we can still do really that i really like this vibe that we've yeah. got going on i bought some nice bottles of beer over at the bottle shop and i've been dying to try them Lovely. but i don't just want to drink fancy beers by myself so i love it always this to share all right so what is your shot this evening mr henning uh i have tequila straight tequila all right we got tequila with some pre-salted limes like or it. lemons they didn't have limes. Fair enough. <laughs> they already have some sprinkled on it, but deal. Might as well get some Ooh. more. And we got some. Yeah. Uh, I'm nervous. I haven't done a tequila shot. In a long some time. Jimmy. Himador. Himador. Cheers. All right. Cheers, friends. Hey. Uh, mm. Ugh. Wowzers. It's like candy. Oof. Wow. Probably a double pour on me, but I think <clears> if I was ever going yikes. to drink a whole fifth, it would be of tequila. Oh my god, I did that once. Really? Yeah. You got it's called that the fifth day. Blitzed on the fifth tequila. day of what month? It was just the it was just this day where I drank a fifth of tequila. My buddy Yoda drank like a fifth of something. What's your Gross. friend's name? Did you didn't say Yoda, did you? Yo Ness. Yo Ness, okay. Yo nasty is what we used to call him. Oh. <laughs> <Wow>. Or Yo Yo. <laughs> oh no. That's a good nickname. Yo Yo? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of cute and endearing. <laughs> yeah. Yo nasty just seems He's the guy who used to rude. drink four locos and like Oh, oh this guy. We yo, heard of this yo guy. is nasty. <laughs> We've heard of this guy. We have we heard now. Or Jonas. He didn't even go to this was my freshman year of college at um wherever I was, San Francisco State, and he didn't even go to school with us, but he was living in Hunter's Point, which is, like, probably, hands down, the most dangerous, like, part of the city. It's, like, kind of outside the city, but it's sketchy as fuck, and he was getting, like, robbed every night. Like, he was just getting hassled every night, and place was getting broken into it. So we just started wow. sleeping in the dorm room. He made friends with the guys who lived across the hall from the room I was in, and he just started, like... Basically living there, and then he was just like at everything. And I remember we had, and I remember we had like, like an icebreaker night, like one of our first weeks there, you know, in the whatever they're called, the not hall monitor. What's the term I'm looking for? Like a like RA. the floor R, yeah, yeah, the RA, yeah. yeah. And I remember they, they were, should just call them hall monitors, <laughs> whatever they are. <laughs> and we were doing like ours wasn't very good. He started carrying on with one of my roommates, and I was like, "That's probably not what you should be doing." But anyways, but we had Dorna's looking at me like he's horrified. But anyways, quick story: we had a very funny night. He was Jonas was basically living in the dorm, but wasn't going to school there, and nobody knew that. I guess. <laughs> and we had an icebreaker night. We're all sitting in a circle. <clears throat> And the RA, the game was uh, Never Have I Ever, which is also like a dangerous game to play with a bunch of 18-year-olds. But anyways. Yeah, dude. And, and Jonas, he's from, um, he's from, I think he was born in Somalia, but then he was living in Nigeria before he moved to San Diego and then eventually 
made it to Hunter's Point. Um, and he was wow. roughly college age, eighteen. Yeah, no, totally. He was our age. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He was our age. Like, no, he was like sixty-five. Yeah, I wasn't sure. No. You never know. With, <laughs> he was our age. with with Giannis. So yeah, <laughs> and he um. But anyway, he like didn't understand the game, right? He had been in America for a couple years, but he like hadn't played that game before and didn't understand it. And and so this <laughs> this kid <laughs> this kid whispers to him something to say, you know, like trying to help him out. And so it's Jonas's turn. He just and he <laughs> looks at everyone. And he says, "Never have I ever had a sunburn." <laughs> and we all oh, it was great. It was yes, good spirited. Nice. He thought it was funny. We all thought it was funny. No one knew. No one ever found out he didn't go to school there. He lived there the whole year. That's I'm impressed. Like, well, yeah. How? That's so well amazing. Done. Yeah. I don't know. I guess just nobody asked any questions. An enterprising he one of my best friends. man. Absolutely. Yeah. He was great. Well, very nice. Well, I'm tucking <laughs> into my whiskey, uh, my classic 16 year old Lagavulin. Poured the top off of, like, I had my fancy glass decanter so full, and it was like the top pour tonight. It felt very good. Mm. Nice. Enjoying Lovely. it. We are having ourselves a cranberry and pine martini to get kind of festive with it. That sounds lovely. It's really yeah, fantastic. It's actually really good. Yeah. So we got uh, two ounces of gin, uh, half an ounce of lemon, half an ounce of dry vermouth, and then half an ounce of a cranberry and pine simple syrup. Mm. It's beautiful. All shaken up. Served in a coop. Uh, if I had cranberries and I, oh, I could have gotten some pine from the tree. From the tree. And <laughs> garnished it. But yeah, it's nice. It has a beautiful, um, from the cranberry, like this, like rose gold tint mm-hmm. to it. And the pine is really nice. Mm. What I would it's just p- a hint of sweet aromatic, but not yes. overpowering the liquor. What I would do, honestly, is um, I would probably take some cranberry juice, cook it down into a really thick reduction, because I bought this pine and, and cranberry sauce, or uh, syrup, uh, and then also add some like reduced cranberry to try to make it more red instead of pink. Because I think if it was a red color, be a little cooler mm. more seasonal yeah more cranberry-esque but mm. does not affect the taste it's delicious great holiday drink yes so we've got hot buttered rum we've got a cranberry oh yes i've been dixie so, and i have been having hot buttered rum lately after our yes. after making our last episode i was like damn that Kat, sounds good I, I know cat doesn't really do coffee but like i want to do like a coffee and sambuca oh, of course do it <laughs> but um this is a little sampler trying to get some drinks together for a cocktail party that will be hosted in Billings, which if you want to come, you're welcome. <laughs> It'll be the weekend we're in Billings. Yes, Kat, oh. please come. Well then, You'll yeah. be here 18th. for recording oh, yeah. Whiskey right? Bunch with us. And then I said the Whiskey Bunch. I said the whiskey, whiskey, whiskey Bunch. Whiskey <laughs> bunch. We'll record that here. Wait, so is that the plan, the 17th? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Also, the whiskey bunch is like the dysfunctional. I request that off. <laughs> um, the dysfunctional relatives to the Brady bunch. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. And then, yeah, Kat, you should come. I'll be there. I would love to. That'd be great. Yeah. 
Yeah, so we're going to go to Billings, record in person. Yep, on Friday. For our final. Our final. Yes. Final episode. End of an era. For a while. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Until we have special guest Stephen Henning. Right. right. <laughs> Until I come back. You know. You know how it goes. I do have to say, I want to give a shout out to Zach Hayes, who on Twitter yes. gave me a very nice shout out, saying he was sad to hear me go, um, but that, yeah, I don't know, that it just warmed me. Felt very nice. Heck yeah. It's always humbling Zach? when somebody like talks about the thing you do, right? Like the passion project of podcasting for me. Whenever, when anyone shouts that out, I'm like, wow, sincerely, like, thank you for listening along. You don't have to. And it's crazy to me that you listen to my dumb ass. <laughs> yeah. It's very, very humbling. Uh, it's incredible. Also, I hope at some point, someday we can get a beer together. Um, with Zach, because he's up in Bozeman, and he's a fun guy, and so it'd be super fun to all get together with him and have a beer, and he's a uh, shout out to Zach, because he listens to, like, every episode, and he consistently, like, at least once a month, sometimes twice a month, like, sends me a voice message, like, oh. talking about the episode, and what he oh, thought about nice. it, and that's great. it's very endearing. Fun. I have to text him back. He texted me like three days ago. Yeah. <laughs> Torna cares. He just doesn't answer messages. <laughs> I know you're listening, Zach. I love you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I feel like I was the one who was doing so bad on our group chat this week. Kat was trying to like plan ahead for this episode. <laughs> trying so hard. And I just, I'm so sorry. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. But so we were talking uh, off mic after making the last episode which was a while ago, it feels like. Oh, because it, mm-hmm. it was, because of Thanksgiving. It was, two weeks. Two weeks ago. Um, mm-hmm. But so, something that I've been curious to explore, and it's all kind of annoyingly twisted together. Um, so, Kat, you mentioned in our group chat that you had put together some notes and thoughts about inflation mm-hmm. and what we might be feeling now. And I think that ties into the curiosities I've had around the supply chain issues people are talking about a lot very much connected yeah um yes it also feels like it could open the door to crypto talk with torna um because of you know the inflation of the dollar causes us to look right. at alternative currencies maybe so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. totally yeah yeah i think that's where the rest of the evening uh is taking us yeah so let's uh let's just dive into the inflation supply chain issue monetary policy thing and we'll get to crypto Ooh. if we can and if not we'll continue the conversation i love it monetary Wonderful. policy okay. yeah okay okay so basically those are like the two oh god henning where where's that hesitation coming from <laughs> what? no it's not hesitation it's just like i okay. guarantee that i bring up modern monetary theory later oh boy oh, fair enough it's coming That's, back yeah. the magical money tree um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess we can kind of lay groundwork of like where we're at in terms of inflation. Please. Um, so, um, during the past year, consumer prices, and I apologize listeners, cause this is just going to be a list of percentages and econ speak, but it's necessary to set the context. Um, so over the last year, consumer prices have risen by 6.2% and that is the fastest uh, rate in more than 30 years. Uh, wholesale prices have risen by 8.6%. Uh, the CPI or the core price index, which is like the this kind of like standard measure of inflation, which I should know excludes 
food and gas, like gasoline, mm. rose 4.6%. Um, and it excludes those two like really important <laughs> factors um, because, well, they claim because it's they are volatile. When you add those back in, the inflation rate's higher. The price of fuel oil has risen by 59% in the past 12 months, gasoline by 50%. And natural gas, 28%. The cost of new cars and trucks is up 10%. Used cars and trucks, 26%. Car and truck rentals, 39%. Those are a lot bigger numbers and than, what, 6.2, 8.6? Yeah, yeah, 39% for rentals. <laughs> yeah. Which, well, that's like because the industry sold off their entire fleet. True. Right, right. Like, yes. Right, mm -hmm. so that's part of the problem. Mm -hmm. That is the problem. And um, I think part of that might well, be, part and that's going to be probably a little bit, just slightly skewed. Just because I do, like, at least in Bozeman, obviously Bozeman's a microclimate, but, like, we had a huge increase in rental prices because a massive, you know, lack of, I mean, supply and demand, right? So there wasn't enough rentals going around. Yeah, they and, sold off their fleet. Right. Right. And so then we saw these massive increases. Then we saw everyone, this is interesting, just aside, I guess, the private sector kind of filled that hole with all the people doing eToro or whatever, Toro. So all these people started buying new vehicles and renting them out through Toro, which is like oh, Airbnb like renting for out their personal vehicles. cars. Yes, right. Okay. Um, and then the prices within like three months plummeted. But I know some people that bought a brand new Tesla and Toroed it out, and they like paid it off in three months. Wow! Because they were getting like four hundred eighty dollars a day for wow. it. God bless the entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. And then they were like, "Oh no, now now it's like a hundred dollars a day." But the people that jumped on it. Yeah. Because like totally. there was a month where SUVs were like $700 a day. In oh, they're insane. Yeah. And over the summer travel season, yeah. increased demand. Everyone sold out of fleet. So there was no supply. Plus, there's a longer term problem of like a computer chip, excuse me, computer chip shortage. Mm -hmm. um, which ties into crypto. Which we'll get to. <laughs> yeah. So, um, also and then the yeah. last little yeah. note yeah. I was going to make was that, um, uh, because of which we'll get into this, but because of labor shortages, wages have increased, right? Yes. Um, employers are desperate to find workers. They've um, so because there's a shortage of the supply of labor, the value, the price of that has gone up, but not enough to outpace the rate of inflation. And so real wages have actually re been reduced by 1.1 percent over the last year. Which oh, is part of the problem of inflation. They call mm -hmm. it like the, what do they call it? Like the uh, hidden tax because it chews away at the purchasing power of your dollar, mm -hmm. right? So that's why it's reduced like real wages. Um, and so that's where we're at in terms of inflation, how it's playing out in the market. Now I think it's worth going into like the why. So just to kind of like set a standard for the conversation, inflation is the result of two different phenomenon. One being supply chain disruptions, the other being monetary policy. Yes. I would describe it as reckless monetary policy. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, like, demand side inflation is what derives from expans expansionary monetary policy. And then supply side inflation, obviously, is what is the result of supply chain problems. Is Craig yelling at us? So, Kat, will you quickly just touch base on the 
um, supply chain inflation because that's something yes. that I don't really get. Yeah. Same. So let me dive in to that. I'm putting um, my snorkel on. So that okay. was stupid. Snorkel. <laughs> I gotta get it. At least um, I gotta get another shot. No, I'm not gonna do that. But yeah. So I was. <laughs> at, at, at We're half all time, shit faced by the yeah, end. Of at halftime, I'll get a beer. You get a shot. How about Amazing. that? There you go. <laughs> um. Okay. So. We've explained that inflation is the result of two different things, supply chain disruptions and or monetary expansionary monetary policy. Um, So I guess I'm going to explain the real world examples of supply chain disruptions that are causing inflation and then we can get into like theory if we want. So here are some examples. I mean, it's a long, it's kind of this Henning you describing as sort of. I forget the exact words you used a moment ago, but like interwoven or tangled, right? Like it's, yeah, it all is, right? Everything has, is in relationship to each other, right? And there's just like domino effects. When the government shut down private businesses, obviously some never came back, right? Which would disrupt supply chains because those businesses are no longer providing goods and services. But those that did, as we just noted with the uh, rental car issue, most of them were able to hang on by selling off their inventory. And so as once demand came back, they weren't able to meet that demand. Supply wasn't able to meet that demand. There's a lag now, right? Right. That makes sense. So that's so that's like one really major thing, right? And then there's also, as a result of, of COVID and COVID, the government's response to COVID, um, the labor side of this equation. So there are significant labor shortages. We have around 10 million job openings still in the US. It's a lot, right? And we've all seen the help wanted signs. McDonald's is paying now, I think it's like $21 an hour, you know, like people are desperate for workers. Um, And that's the result of a multitude of factors. One, which we've discussed in previous episodes, um, is federal and state unemployment benefits in addition to other forms of transfer payments that were issued or extended or goosed throughout the pandemic, like rental assistance, direct checks from Daddy Trump and Biden. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, there's been beyond just the extra federal unemployment benefits on top of state unemployment benefits. There were lots of other transfer payments that were taking place over the course of the pandemic. and. Basically, that gave people a cushion to not return to work. And so that suppressed the supply of labor, um, which then, because businesses don't have the employees that they need to like produce the goods and services to meet the demand of the consumer, that's one of the chains in that reaction of, of disrupting su- the supply. Because so many people were receiving lots, myself included, right, like mm-hmm. checks, just straight checks from the government. This also meant that personal savings were up by more than $2 trillion this last year. Um, So a ton of people had a big, they were sitting on like a big safety, like personal safety net. Mm -hmm. Um, And these are people not just, not solely just because of the transfer payments, but also because of the fact that they, when things were shut down, there was nowhere to spend their money, right? So Mm -hmm. like- Everybody had a cushion of savings. Yeah, that helps me And for me some and people, that wife. meant they didn't have to go back to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally, right? Torna used his check to buy our recording equipment. 
Yeah. Right. So like totally recording equipment and all of the logo stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And Dixie and I finished our six month emergency fund with that cash. There you go. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. I mean, people put it to their own personal productive use um, and none of us dropped out of the workforce, but other people did. Right. Right. They were able to. Right. Moratoriums on rent. Right. Mm -hmm. Is there in evictions and like. Some states like California are literally like paying back people's rent for them, right? So there's a lot of there's a lot of these perverse incentives, and I know maybe that sounds harsh, but like f- looking at it from like an economic perspective, like in terms of trying to maintain like a full employment and uh, reliable supply chains, like those are perverse incentives that disrupt that process, right? And then another thing, which is you know a factor that I don't know people are sensitive to but the vaccine mandate mm-hmm. whether it's the you know biden's sort of federal policy that's now been paused because of litigation or private businesses people have lost their workforce and even if it's just like one to three percent that's enough to disrupt an industry in The trucking industry, for example, there's like a shortage of roughly like 80,000 truckers. Mm -hmm. And that is directly disrupting supply chains, right? Oh, yeah. I have a personal anecdote about that one. If you want to tell us. Yeah. So my my parents in October sold their home in Gig Harbor, Washington and moved to Helena because my dad is just about ready to retire. But right now he's a federal employee who's been working full time remote for like a year and a half now. So he could he could move to Helena and basically continue his job, but he's close to retirement. So moving from Washington to Helena, uh, they moved in October. They got their apartment, but because the trucking industry is so low on over the road drivers right now, their furniture is still packed away in a warehouse in Tacoma <laughs> and won't show up until a couple of days before Christmas. Good lord! Yeah, dude. In theory, right? It's gonna arrive before Christmas, right? In theory, okay. Yeah, fair. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I've been through this. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, so that's good real world example mm-hmm. of how this impacts things, right? And then like multiply mm-hmm. that, like or magnify it, right? So those are some of the kind of, I guess, shorter term things that I think we can resolve, you know, over the course of the next year or so. Then there are some other longer term factors that are contributing to supply chain disruptions, one of them being the computer chip shortage that we mentioned earlier, which like I'm not a tech person, but those things, that's a key component in virtually everything. And so uh, in that, we don't expect to be resolved for a long time. The The chairman of Intel recently was interviewed and he predicted that uh that global demand for chips will exceed supply well into 2023. Oof, um, definitely believe it. And that's a global that's another thing that's like uh, the other part of this is like all of this most of these things certainly products are all uh, the supply chains are global and so it's like these aren't things that we alone can solve, right? And, and this is this is something that ties back to I believe an example I gave months ago in an episode talking about I think more the beauty of the supply chain and and the beauty of kind of yeah logistics how interconnected markets Mm -hmm. are Mm -hmm. um I don't remember exactly what the number is so I don't mean to misquote this but I think the example I gave was like 
uh, a single pair of like Nike sneakers touches something like a hundred markets in seventy different co- countries or something like that. Which, like, as a free trader, like that's yeah. a beautiful thing, right? Like that's great. We're creating like wealth and prosperity mm-hmm. like around the world. Like that's fantastic, and we're creating like cheaper goods for consumers and raising people's like standard of living. That's awesome. But it creates a more delicate supply in some chain. Ways, in some ways, but if we were solely dependent on, you know, if we were trying to make everything in the U.S., one, everything would be more expensive. Two, we'd have less goods. And, you know, you have like a natural disaster in one part of the country that could like fuck everything, right? Whereas you could be still importing things from your foreign markets. Right. Yeah. I mean, right. this but, is but kind of like a once in a lifetime disruption. That's and and I have to say a lot of it is self-imposed. It's shooting yourself in the foot kind of deal. Like a lot of this could have been avoided, in my opinion, and a lot of other people's opinion. <laughs> by, like the government, I think our government responses have made it worse. Right. Um, and exacerbated the problem. So by no means, I don't mean to be implying that I'm like for quote unquote made in America, because I think that's like a total misnomer and like actually really destructive to most people here and abroad. But the thing is, is like I love made in America things that like are reasonable to produce here that don't increase price very much. But I also love made in other places things, right? It's like I don't care if something's made in America. I'm not anti things being made in America. I'm anti the government trying to pass legislation to force things to be made in America. Right. That's where it gets bad. Which both Trump and Biden, at least rhetorically, talk about, right? Mm -hmm. There's this populist thing that's surging through both the right and the left politically. And on trade, it's totally ill founded. But in my opinion. And then one other like sort of longer term trend that's a problem for supply chains and on the labor front is that our um, workforce participation is just like down and been trending. It has been trending down for a long time, for example. So it grew 1.6% annually in the 1980s, 1.3% annually in the 1990s, and now it's projected to only grow 0.5% a year over Mm -hmm. the next decade. Yeah. So like fewer and fewer people are in the workforce. And that's another I mean, this is like a it's like Russian nesting dolls. It's like every time you open one, there's like something else. Right. So it's like this. Then that is the result of, you know, like an aging population and. Welfare and like a whole host of other things, people not reproducing, you know, there's a lot of factors there. But anyway, but that is part of the trend. And that is something we're going to have to wrestle with as our workforce shrinks over time right um and i have seen i just want to touch base on this just briefly i have seen the argument floating around that labor shortage is such a deal right now because all of the workers died due to covid that's absurd Eight hundred thousand deaths so far in the united states yes we've had eight hundred thousand deaths yeah eight hundred and seven thousand i think or something like that but um Check out the demographics. The, the demographics of the of the people that are in the markets that need to be filled are not. The vast majority of, of people, people are not in the workforce right. that have passed away. So I just want to, that's an interesting and lazy argument, but I've seen it floated around a lot. From well, Okay, what I'm like, seeing course, right now is 777,000. Oh, okay. Okay, good. Not that that's that much better. Right. But that's but, just, yeah. I mean, no, that's 30,000 people. That's a lot better than 807. Yeah, fair. Yeah, that's a city. A small city, right. but it's yes. a city. A small city, but yeah, totally. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a Montana um, city. Yeah. 
but yeah, I think that's a really fair point that it's right. the vast majority of those cases are elderly people with that were not in the workforce right. or people with like severe comorbidities that were probably not, not in, in the, the workforce. workforce. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so There's I something I, deeper I, there. That than, is, I think right. that's like a cheap scapegoat. <laughs> yes. Um, and also like why, you know, like it's just, we all, we often come back to this, but like, why is that political? Why are we picking sides and why is one right and left? Like, why, don't, you know, can't we just look at this objectively and acknowledge what's happening? But anyway, okay. So that, is kind of a rundown on the supply chain side of the inflationary question on the monetary policy side of things. I'm going to try to break this down in break a way that's down. digestible. But so so the Federal Reserve employs a thing called quantitative easing. And they've been doing this aggressively since the Great Recession and then in as a response to COVID, they really really ratcheted it up. And basically what that looks like is the Fed buys assets, which is basically printing money and giving money to like financial institutions. Financial institutions now have more money to loan mm -hmm. and they do. They loan that money out. What that does is it, it, it increases the, the money supply in the economy, which means that the price of money or its interest rate, like the interest rate is essentially the price of money. When there's more of that flooded into the economy, it lowers the price of money, meaning it lowers the interest rate, which makes it easier for people to take out loans. Now, the whole idea behind quantitative easing is that, you know, you employ that in, in an economic downturn to spur economic activity. Mm -hmm. Banks have more money to loan. People take out those loans. They put it to productive economic end that helps ease whatever the economic like malady is which is like half accurate right like it's not a bad tool but it's well actually i shouldn't say that <laughs> it's not, it sounds like a bad tool <laughs> it's an imperfect tool it's right. an imperfect tool right because it's not i mean and there is no way for the fed to like target anything in a super efficient way right but like anyway it's imperfect but so once interest rates are lowered investors shift their money into the stock market in hopes of return. And this is kind of one of the key problems with quantitative easing because what it really does is it punishes savers. Low interest rates punish savers because all of a sudden mm -hmm. you're not earning a good return on like your diligent effort to save yeah, money. Right. Like the emergency fund that Dixie and I funded, like we filled for, Six months. Like if I lost my job, we we could last six months if I didn't try to find a job after that. Which, as we know, there's a glut of available jobs that I could go. You know, I could right. go stock grocery shelves and not have to use all six months of emergency fund. But my yeah. my uh, my savings interest rate on that account is uh what is it like point six five percent or something yeah, like nothing yeah right yeah which is like actually not bad compared Tiny. to a lot of banks. i earn like nothing <laughs> i earn like dollars per year on my shitty it's hilarious. savings account it's like, a joke and even I, I mean i've got a good bank and everything with I need tons of bank. great benefits but like saving accounts you if you want to earn money or earn interest on your money savings accounts yeah. are not yeah, savings so, accounts so anymore are a place to park available cash but just, right yeah and this is and this is why Throughout the pandemic, there's a lot of rhetoric about how, like, why are the rich getting so rich throughout this mm. whole thing? Because they're invested. They're because, diversified. Because they're invested. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Because they are invested in the stock market. 
which and people run to if savings. Quantitating easing. Yeah, okay. yeah, it incentivizes investment in the stock market. And and so this has been a great this is a great tool for goosing assets. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really bad yeah. tool for people who want to save money. Which who wants to save money? Average people, poor people, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Who's invested in the stock market? Typically upper middle class to wealthy people. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole school of thought that argues that quantitative easing actually exacerbates income inequality. Mm-hmm. Guys, this is I'm yeah. so excited because I don't know much about this side of it, but when we get into the crypto talk, this 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 is going to be great because everything you're talking about, the counter argument is crypto. Um, <laughs> I'm excited to hear that because I don't actually, know that much about actually crypto. helping and empowering. Yeah, that demographic. So um, just to paint a little bit of color on what we're mm-hmm. talking about on the monetary side of things. So the Fed's balance sheet during the financial crisis of the Great Recession, it barely surpassed $2 trillion. Now, don't, after I don't COVID. Even, I don't even know what you're about to say. I don't. <laughs> it's $9 trillion Okay. And continues to grow by more than $100 billion a month. And what largely they've been doing is purchasing um, mortgage-backed securities, which mm-hmm. don't I, I I can't I can't untangle that and explain that I I can't. This is you know that's a whole other episode of complicated shit. But um, <laughs> but and then you look at like the housing market across the country and it's totally inflated and insane, right? And of course everybody's like in it, but it's like it's it's nuts, right? Like in a place. Boise, Idaho is now the most unaffordable place to live in the country, apparently. Which I, I remember, saw that the I other remember day. last That's year. Insane. Last year looking at it's like totally really cool mid-century modern houses in Boise that were affordable. Yeah. Well, they, apparently they aren't anymore, yeah, according overnight. to what I saw. Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. But and and this is this policy is contributing to that, right? It's 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 inflating things. Mm-hmm. So I think I guess step back. Big picture. This quantitative easing is a really big part of the mix, right? It's a huge part of the mix. The supply side stuff is very real. That's a lot more solvable. And a lot more recent. Than this. Because right? quantitative easing has yeah. been going on for decades, as far as I know. It has been going on for decades, but it's been ratcheted up to a dramatic extent in mm-hmm. the last yeah, two years. Yeah, sure. Like, f- um, and has exacerbated Setting interest things. rates, yeah, where they are and- yeah. Okay. Right. Right. The nine trillion compared to like two trillion. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's it's a lot. Um. And then, and I think, and that's an important distinction because because a lot of people make this mistake rhetorically of saying like, well, we shouldn't pass Biden's Build Back Better agenda because it's going to cost trillions of dollars and that's going to make inflation worse. And that's a little bit untrue. Because it's not necessarily fiscal policy that drives inflation; it's monetary policy oh. that drives inflation. Okay, but the, isn't but, the argument that but, just but, like but, flooding but, the money, like but, just printing more? But it's but it's but it's fiscal policy that floods the money yeah. supply, or excuse me, monetary policy that floods the money supply, not fiscal policy. However, big however, big mm-hmm. but, goosing demand when we have the supply problems that we have. Is totally fucking right. Okay, so goosing yeah. right infrastructure work. <laughs> I 
Well, the infrastructure thing is separate from Build Back Better. Okay. Build Back Better is just literally creating a gigantic welfare but even state the, and like subsidizing the green. But even industry. the infrastructure stuff literally. is like those are real goods that are on a supply chain that is very much strained right now. Like even just like yeah. transporting right. what's needed yeah. to build the next Montanan bridge, right? Right. Like Right. And none of it comes with regulatory reform, which again is a different conversation, but it's like None of like those are the real things that are impeding projects actually yeah. getting done. Like uh, everything yeah. in the green agenda, it's like you have to have like NEPA reform before you can ever get any of these things done efficiently. We're going to take a quick break, then we'll be back to our conversation. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts. There you can leave us a five star rating and a one or two sentence review to help others find the show. Thank you to Reagan James for the use of our theme music, The Habit, off her album, Message. Find her work on Spotify and Apple Music. And thanks to Highline Media Network for having us as a founding podcast. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, No Normal People. We like ran out of water, ran out of food. And I'm like at the bottom, I'm 50 feet from the summit. I'm on my hands and knees. There's like maybe three inches of space beside me to my left. And then it's just like sheer drop off. Oh. And the, the, the climb to the summit is a scramble with just like shale. Oh. Nope. Mm-mm. And I tried to cry, but I was so dehydrated oh that my. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't cry. And I turned to Creeble and I go, can I be done now? And now back to our conversation. But but so even the material on the material side, like uh, I can't talk about it much, just knowing knowing how things work where I work. But um, on material ordering, like we're planning a big turnaround for 2023, and we're coming up on a deadline mm-hmm. in a couple weeks for if we don't order this kind of valve by January 1st, we won't see it by middle of 2023. Yeah. 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 So like we've been hauling ass on a bunch of different like specialty packages throughout the refinery to make sure that we can have the material just ordered on time because the supplier is saying, yeah, you're looking about like 54 to 60 some weeks. Jeez. Which is crazy, right? Which is indication of two things, right? It's either the supply chain is that messed up. Or the suppliers are just trying or, to hedge their bets and just like, we don't know, so we're right. going to quote you and long. Realistically it's pr- yeah, and realistically, it's probably it's both. both, right? So yeah. you've got all They're the- You're, you long you're ramping up, right? Problems. Because right, yeah. all these people are ramping up yeah. and you're on a- I mean, you guys are doing maintenance every two years, right? So that's a consistent thing. But oh, it's crazy. Well, and then another another point that I think is worth noting is is that, you know- <laughs> It's asinine because it's all just political, but, you know, Biden's solution to our economic problems is like, we need to create more jobs. Yeah. There are 10 million jobs that are unfilled. We don't have a problem with jobs, right? right? But he just wants to- Or we need to create, you know, we need to like get more money in the pockets of people. We have a ridiculous amount of savings in this country right now. Like those aren't the problems, you know? And like, I don't even think- 
with the supply chain issues, it's like we just need government to get out of the way. The only thing government can do is like deregulate things like do away with the Jones Act is like a common thing people throw out there. Right. For like shipping things internationally. But like there's just there's there isn't basically pouring. This is the argument against the BBB. Yeah. Like we just we don't need there's no economic argument for further goosing demand um and and this like fake job creation which it's like i'm sorry but if the job is if the entire industry is propped up by taxes then it's not <laughs> that right. isn't sustainable that's not a sustainable model right like and we've seen that fail mm. again and again mm. and again so anyway um so that's kind of where we're at um and then and I have some helpful links that we'll add to the show notes from various great. articles that yeah, kind of help geez. break all of this stuff down. Um, but one thing I want to note is just that um, Jerome Powell, who's our Federal Reserve Chairman, um, and will continue to be, he's been nominated again. Um, but he, there was a choice between him and this other woman whose name I'm forgetting, and they chose him. He was like the lesser of two evils. But oh. he, um, <laughs> he, uh, he finally acknowledged last this week or last week, end of last week or this week, um, uh, in a congressional hearing that we should quote retire the word temporary when referring to inflation because it's not just mm, temporary. That seems longer. refreshingly um, honest. Yeah, it was. Well, you should have. It came in this like 45 second long word salad, literally 45 second long word salad. So kind of honest, but yeah. right. something <laughs> desperately trying something not to coherent be. came through. Yeah, yeah something. Did. Fair enough. Mm, um, interesting. What? And he wants to start tapering our asset purchases sooner than they had originally. What projected. are the so acknowledging that the monetary policies? What are the typical like projected um, rates of inflation? you know, in a 20, I don't know, 2017, 2018, or in other words, like when we talk about like cost of living raises that come every January to account for inflation, like what are the typical rates we're expecting and how, what's the Delta on what we're seeing right now? The feds. Yeah. The feds target historically and is still 2%. Yep. 2% inflation year. is the tar. Okay, so yep. they're trying yeah. to use is the target. quantitative now, easing to maintain a 2%. And that's and that's right. just Which, us just we don't really notice. We get our cost of living raises and you know, we're just frogs slowly boiling in soup, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of much. basically. And we're feeling and it now, now though because of fuel and like food like the indicator did an episode and like the uh the the typical fixins for like a traditional Thanksgiving meal, uh, like inflation in the last year was like twenty some percent or something like that. It was a real fun episode, but just listening to that, I was like, oh damn, yeah, like you don't even really notice that the turkey you bought last year was twenty bucks and this one was twenty three yeah, right. or twenty four like, or Elis- something. But which Elizabeth Warren tried to claim on Twitter before the holiday, she was just like shamelessly using the holiday to like put out some garbage but she tweeted out about how like perhaps like the poultry industry is colluding to make turkey prices higher and it's like what are you talking about that's not what's happening literally yeah they want to turn off customers that makes a lot of sense like what are you anyway that's been an argument about a ton of stuff like all of these different high profile people i've seen like turkeys you know uh i think bernie sanders text or texts 
texted you. <laughs> he tweeted something out the other day, like all these high, like certain markets, and they're like, prices are uh, increased because of corporate greed. That's because these are people who don't understand supply and demand, and they don't understand but they're how price leading the work. country. I know. Well, Biden. So Biden, in the in the response to higher gasoline prices, has. You know, he's going to, I think the Federal Trade Commission, he's going to put them on the task of trying to see if the oil industry is colluding to raise mm-hmm. prices. And it's like, and I want to like, no, dude, we have to wait can... 60 weeks for a valve to upgrade our plant. Yo. And I know. Right, we... well, exa- exactly. <laughs> and exactly. I, and I know that exactly. we've talked about this before, and I would like you to maybe explain this to anyone listening that might not line up, at least with you and me, Cat. Uh, Cat and I, um, and Henning, I know you have a good understanding of, of this kind of stuff, but um, I know there's some nuance that's missing, and I don't know if I can quite get to the bottom of it uh, accurately. But I see the complaint being like, or I see the complaint being repeated by people, which is originating with figures like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and AOC being like, these companies had record-breaking years for profits, and like ExxonMobil profited, you know, seven hundred billion dollars. But like, it, they don't have seven hundred billion dollars in their pocket, right? Like those profits, it's a record profit year, but they're in this weird balance. Is right? it also Where possible that profits not income? Right, exactly. So it's like people are like, oh. This is horrible that they made this much profit, but like this is going to ramp up production. This is going into solving supply chain issues. This is going this into, is going in into investments. Yeah. This is going into stockholders. And a like, lot of it is even just is even especially in like that industry in particular mm-hmm. is probably set aside for manage like hedging your bets against future regulation. Mm-hmm. Right. Like with all of the rhetoric, you know, from canceling natural gas pipelines to the moratorium on uh, oil and gas leases on federal lands, which has been paused because of litigation. But, you know, um, and even just like the pie in the sky climate goals of being like net zero by 2030, Mm -hmm. like these. I mean, companies are planning these moves. They're like how they're spending these whatever like profit they have. Um, Yeah. years in advance right and so like that money isn't just something that they're like lining their pockets with and have gold bars stashed under their beds right like these are things that they have to strategically reinvest into the business and Um, i will add especially it's an industry that must be thinking five ten fifteen years ahead at any given time mm -hmm. like the the 2023 turnaround we're planning at the refinery i work at we started drawings on a year ago. Like in 2020, we were working mm. on the drawings already. Like it's an industry that famously has to very much be thinking ahead and also looking at and trying to like dance with the EPA quite a bit of like, like right. half right. my job is making drawings so that the refinery is more efficient at reducing like waste and emissions and pollution and all that. Like, right. There's a so- whole host of engineers and, uh, process yeah. managers industry-wide and, a lot of people you know, are trying to work on yeah. um using soybean oil in the refining process for unleaded gas so henning how do you how does your 
company respond to like like was there a, a shift and and I'm not trying to make it political I'm just trying to like make this I'm just trying to gauge like how you respond to well yeah I guess the changing political climate mm-hmm. so I guess it is inherently political but like once the Biden administration was sworn in and you know Frankly, it's a lot of rhetoric. It's not a lot of action, but a lot of rhetoric about climate change and about like phasing out fossil fuels. Like, how does your industry respond to that? That's a great question. Um, I work for a contracting office, so I don't really get in uh, like a design and a drafting firm. So I don't really get in the conversations about like responses. And mm-hmm. to be frank, I don't know if I'd be at liberty to talk much about it just because like sure. given mm-hmm. given enough. that yeah. corporate policy I want to do my best to honor whatever they have uh, going I think in general there's a lot of frustration you know mm-hmm. um yeah. and I think rightly especially well, for the people it's... who are in it though I've kind of been thinking of uh, trying to think of a corollary to all the frustration felt felt by coal workers right like in the coal belt and mm-hmm. like how that very much fueled the popularity of Trump because Trump talks to those people and knows how to talk to those people. And so, you know, there's a lot of frustration in the industry right now with a lot of confusion and, you know, just like it, it seems more simple than they're trying to make it than the government is trying to make it. Um, right. Yeah. And in Mm -hmm. that way, I guess I've, I've been drawing lines to, what I've observed in the coal industry. And I'm, I'm, I'm also kind of trying to think through like, what does the oil industry look like in 10 to 20 years? Does it look like the coal industry does now? Like half gutted? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I don't know, man. At least I, in America, I, I, right? That's the know, question is like, maybe, it's convenient. Okay. So Kat, to your point, it's like, it's convenient to say like, yeah, we closed all these gas refineries in uh, America because they were doing bad for our numbers or whatever. But yeah, all those refineries just like packed up and moved over to India or China and like, well, yeah. And then, right, and then exactly. Biden's <laughs> literally begging OPEC to yeah. increase their yeah, production. It's like, cool. You right? have, and it's like, wait cool, a you second. have a bunch of more yeah. EVs on the road, but you're still powering it by fossil fuel generation. And this ties, and this yeah. ties back to what I had said previously The and I think Kat, you made this point too, when we were talking about, um, electric, and green energy specifically, it's like America has a tendency to ship its uh, bad PR offshores. So it's like, yeah. look at us. All we're this We're this amazing green country, mm-hmm. but you're piping in oil and, and it's being done. This we're not going to mine for the minerals and this here, is, and, but we'll rape other countries. Right. And here's yeah. the unfortunate truth. This is also a touchy thing. If something gets shipped off like a, a plant to India or something like that, it is going to be run in a much worse fashion than it is in the United States as far yeah, as... Yeah, it's not the same environmental yeah, exactly. oversight. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And so it's kind of sweeping stuff under the rug, right? Completely. Um, but I want to back up just briefly because I did have uh, a conversation a little bit about this with an engineer um, that we both know, actually. Henning and I both know uh, this engineer that, that works with, with Henning, but... They were talking about how it just is interesting in general, not getting political, but just it's always particularly difficult during a transition year where there's a change yeah, of power. That is um, very true. Especially a, a flip from Republican to Democrat or Democrat to Republican. 
And so this person was just saying that it's just, it's frustrating as Henning had said, just because it's a lot more effort to have to really dig into what kind of policy is being put forth. What does that mean for the industry? And kind of really they're stuck guessing. It's a lot of whiplash. Right. Yeah. Exactly. How do you plan your business when with that? Yeah. How do you how do you plan for five years from now when the presidential term ends in four? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that's where. But the thing is, is that does help with innovation as far as carbon capture and things like that. Because this person was saying that, like, part of that is like, oh, it looks like things are going to get more strict. So why don't we just because like a lot of they were saying like a lot of these refineries are way above and beyond what the regulation yeah the pr always feels weird like Mm. people look at a flare stack and they're like look at you burning it straight into the atmosphere it's like yeah dude that's because we don't want that exploding anywhere else (laughs) the thing too is like this is why it's so good to understand how the world works right like correct me if i'm wrong here hitting but like it's just fun to learn these things because you're like oh why do they burn this at the very top of this really tall Yeah, because you want the fire very far away and very far above everything else that you don't want to be burning. Well, and that whole column (laughs) is full of capture technology. Water, steam, all sorts of stuff that that captures it. Purifying and filtering. Oh, right. That makes sense. very true. There you go. It's like your Brita filter. (laughs) There you go. I like that. Uh Yeah, there's all sorts of like flare gas recovery and... All sorts of stuff where they run it through compressors and they can run it back to units that can handle it, right? And it's just like a constant recycle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. System. The whole the whole plant just kind of is like a breathing entity. It's very weird. <laughs> like crude goes out sometimes, some gets flared, and you see that happen. But there's mm-hmm. so much that manages to get processed from beginning to end with all sorts of like recycle loops and stuff. And the reality is like that like making those plants more efficient mm-hmm. is our best one I of our best I can't believe options. this is the first time we talked and about this on this podcast. I know, I know it exactly. actually is kind of crazy. And this it's is actually really fun and interesting. But like what, you know, what's happening right now in Europe. Yeah. Which, you know, it was like the gods delivered this in time for COP26, but the UN climate summit. But like Europe is, you know, what? five ten years ahead of us in terms of climate mm-hmm. policy and like yep. energy measures and and basically in a nutshell what's happening there is like they transition to renewables too soon they're too they're some nations are over leveraged on renewables mm-hmm. they are now like germany relegated to relying largely on russia for natural gas and coal they burn a ton of coal yeah. Germany imports a ton of coal to supplement their wind and um, mm-hmm. solar, and and they have to supplement because those en- those energy sources produce power intermittently. They need a reliable baseload energy source, and if they aren't going to produce that baseload energy source themselves, which could be coal or it could be natural gas, which is cleaner, obviously, or it could be nuclear, which doesn't emit any carbon emissions. Um, if they aren't going to do it themselves, they're going to have to import it. Russia is like the largest exporter nearby. Um, and, and so what they're facing right now are, is an energy shortage and skyrocketing prices Mm -hmm. of energy. And, Mm -hmm. um, and 
I mean, America really needs to like take note, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. like observe this and recognize like we have to transition wisely. This isn't just about winning an election. It's not just about like getting likes on Twitter. It is about like actually figuring out how to sustainably power society. It, the thing is, like, if if you hop on this train, I mean, this is thinking worst case scenario, like you regulate all this stuff out of existence. You go to a completely green, in quote, completely green, green which right, is a it's misnomer, not, yeah, exactly, but, yeah, right. Then you're gonna have you know half of Europe and America now relying on China and Russia to take care of them, right? Which is a very bad position to be in as far as. Completely. Geopolitics is concerned. Right. Um, and then with petroleum and things like that, you know, there's a push to, they're like, no fossil fuels. Fossil fuels, again, I, I don't want to like assume that people don't understand these things, but like the amount of fuel we use, like I think people think like fossil fuels, my car, like everything, everything. is petroleum. Your pl- plastic container that your strawberries came in is made of petroleum. Plastics. Chemicals to finish leathers, tires, lots of clothing things, uh, vinyls, like tons of things come from these plants that have become really efficient at separating all these different components and and processing them. And then, you know, I'm just this is just funny because I saw a story uh, just the other day talking about like new bioplastics. I was laughing so hard because it was like incredible scientists like discover new way to make uh bioplastic out of salmon semen okay and i was that like that sounds sustainable oh, right okay and i was like <laughs> okay that sounds cool i guess and weird and they're like look at this cool cup that scientists like 3d printed with sperm plastic and then i was like what and they're like the only thing is it melts when it comes in contact with any sort of moisture. Oh, perfect. <laughs> you, you, a very useful vessel. You're like, oh my God. Also, how can you sustainably extract that much semen from salmon? Those are the right. yuckiest salmon we are, you know, farms like, ever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the yuckiest. But then you like also that. have people that are like, you know, we're, you know, and then you, the same kind of a lot of times overlap with well, those kind of activists. They're well, like, and we, well, we're overfishing and we're like straining the just, animal populace. Exactly. I was just going to say like <laughs> plastics were this incredible invention that stopped humanity from like totally exploiting to decimation our natural resources. And obviously we probably use too much plastic. Right. Yeah. And like, we've got to find a solution to that, but it isn't going back to like using ivory. Right. <laughs> so like, what are we going to do? Like we have right. to be thoughtful about these things. And it's unfortunate that everything's political and everything's a hot take and everything is just this like, and it's scary now because it seems like our policy is built around hot takes, you know, and it's like, these have mm-hmm. real consequences. Speaking of hot takes. You know, like Germany is now totally, I mean, they are bent over a barrel with Russia, you know, and like Russia has close to 100,000 troops along the Ukrainian border right now, you mm-hmm. know, and it's like, <laughs> that is a powder keg that is about to explode, you know, and like. Great. Most of Europe, with the exception of like France, who didn't abandon nuclear, like everybody else is like, what's going to happen? Right. You put up a fight against Russia expanding its reach and they cut off the power. So then you don't say anything and you let them keep expanding their reach. And then what? They're on your doorstep and then you're screwed. Right. Like that. I mean, it's terrifying. And like we ha- people have to think more strategically mm-hmm. about these mm-hmm. things, which is interesting too. this is just 
talking about geopolitics, like uh, England is sitting on one of the biggest reserves of coal in the world. And natural gas. And natural gas. But yeah. I'm sure regulation is limiting them from actually no, being can't. able to do that. Yeah. But like imagine if England could supply stuff to the rest of Europe Wouldn't instead of Russia. Yeah, totally. But. Well, they have Extinction Rebellion there, so oh right, they're not gonna do anything that makes sense. But did you? Okay, this is this is tangential, but the Extinction Rebellion people that like a month ago like shut down a highway, mm, and then yeah. like this woman made her child lay under a vehicle that was stopped in the highway. I did not hear about that. So the vehicle like couldn't drive. Jesus Christ, that is terrifying and horrific. Yeah, they're they're sick, honestly. Yeah, people are amazing and great. And they should be cherished and valued. The Extinction uh, Rebellion thing, we should devote a whole episode of that. It's a nightmare. Yeah. And they shouldn't be I taken have, seriously. Right. That I've lost the plot at this point. Though I did have a question. Or sorry. Or maybe an observation. I like the way Europe talks about energy is the way America talks about transportation. And like I don't know why it just clicked with me, but like, of course that has to do with population density. Like the reason we talk about gas prices more Mm -hmm. than we talk about electricity prices is because we drive around a lot more because our country is way more spread out than anything is in Europe, right? Like their cities are built up and they have to deal with a population density, like sucking Mm -hmm. on a grid. Whereas we have to talk about like getting places. (laughs) Right. I don't know that. I, right. That, that doesn't feel apropos of anything that we were just talking about, but I was just like, oh, of course, that's that's why this is what we care about and that's what they care about. That makes sense. Kat, I yeah. have a, uh, two questions for you. The first one is, I don't know how you, how did you put t- together all these notes this fast in like, because... In a group text, <laughs> literally this evening. Well, this is so <laughs> text, I've been so like busy. No, like, oh, yeah, I was gonna just put some, been... I'm working on putting together some notes. Um, well, I mean, this is stuff I pay attention to all the time, so mm-hmm. I just had to force myself to sit down. Write the and, connections. Like, write stuff okay, fair enough. Now, yeah. okay, so I have in my notebook, <laughs> I have a bunch of numbers, and I also have written down that uh, the two main causes are supply chain disruption and monetary policy. Mm-hmm. Those are good. These are good to point out. The third, my next question, though, is that is there a possible third factor or what do economists of your ilk think about the idea that inflation, of my ilk. that inflation has a lot to do with like public sentiment about inflation itself? Oh, I told you yeah. I was going to get back to MMT. Well, OK. <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 that's not even MMT. That's just that's I know, like but it's related it. to MMT um, in my mind, and I will get there. But I'll let you respond first. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, inflation is in part the result of expectation, which is kind of like all the. That's like part of what the Fed does. Like, yeah, they manipulate interest rates through asset purchases by like changing money supply Mm -hmm. blah 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 but part of their job and a lot of people have been writing about this recently is like maintaining their credibility so that people think they have authority so that when they say we're gonna have two percent inflation people believe Mm. that Mm -hmm. because if they because i guess the the idea is that if people expect prices to rise they are willing to pay more and then they'll also demand more in terms of wages uh, uh, okay okay 
And it sounds a little fluffy, but like ultimately, I think maybe one way to think about it is like ultimately all of these price changes are the result of individual mm-hmm. actors. And so if a lot of individual actors are willing to pay more or a lot of individual actors are like demanding higher wages, that has a cumulative yeah. effect. Therefore, it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So. Is it time for a beer? Because I, <laughs> I can crack a beer real quick. Because I, <laughs> I hear people <laughs> talk about inflation in certain places where they're essentially saying like, yeah, if we just all refuse to <laughs> acknowledge that it exists, it wouldn't exist. That's insane. And maybe that's <laughs> a bad way to say real. it, but can you see how I leap to MMT from there? Because that's basically how MMT yeah, treats fanciful. money <laughs> itself. Like money is a made up thing. Well, MM that we use right. to like it's a it's a and inflation is right. a made up thing in yeah. that theory. Yeah, exactly. Right. Ooh, that's a really interesting question. Um, I mean. No, that, no, that's that not how that work. works. Um, <laughs> but, <Fair. laughs> but um, yeah. How does that interact with like the actual broader theory of MMT? I mean, it's kind of just a way of disregarding economic realities so that you can like move forward on your own social agenda. How did you pour that that quickly? That's like really impressive. Torna just showed up with a beer, and that was Amazing. really impressive. Literally, he stepped away like three seconds ago, and he has came back in with two. Oh no, we heard the creaking door. Absolutely, you heard the creaking I tried door. I to be out. sneaky. It was very quick, and it's got a nice, decent pour. The bubbles are a little big. No, I rushed. Great. Well done. Here, let let's pause real quick and have him tell us about this beer. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay, guys. So I ran out and grabbed a beer, and I, everyone needs to hear this. Uh, we've got a lovely little bottle shop here in Bozeman, Shine. Um, and they had a bunch of beers from a brewery called Barrel of Monks from Florida. And they are specifically known for their like dark beers. So they do, I bought a ton. They've got like a salted caramel pretzel. I got like a cocoa nib and coffee, uh, like a banana split beer, like all these crazy things. And this, this is an IPA called Just to Prove a Point. And it's the first not stout they ever made. Oh, really that's good. a great Just name. Just to prove a point. That's a great name. So it's name. very clever. And I heard it's incredible. So it's a lot going on with the bottle or the can. Yeah, all the, all the cans. Yeah, Ooh, give so me tasty. a review. It's really tasty. Definitely tropical. I'm getting like pineapple, like peach rings, like kind of sugary candy peach rings with pineapple. Now, it's obviously the bitterness from the hops, but like almost like a tart, almost like a kumquat. It's a tart. double IPA, too. Ah. Mm. It's tasty. It's really good. Nice, deep, rich nice. orange color. Well, I have no beer in my home, but after we're done recording, I'll go take another shot in your honor. I thought you were going to drink a beer, <laughs> no, too. No, no sorry. I, I don't have that. one in my fridge. Okay. Try not to drink beer. Damn it. Uh, just anecdotal experience of I feel like I'm gaining weight because I've been drinking a lot of beer so mm, mm-hmm. yo yeah beer will yeah get well you. and functionally the I- the calories are pretty equivalent to like a good pour of whiskey as well if we're being honest but it doesn't hit it doesn't feel like it <laughs> 
right, which is fair. okay. So, which is kind of my point about inflation and money, though, is like I'm not feeling it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Functionally, it's the same thing. Right. Which was kind of like after, you know, the expansionary monetary policy is in response yeah. to the Great Recession. We didn't see runaway inflation, right? So everyone was like, ah, proof. We can just print and spend and it doesn't mm-hmm. matter and there is no sure. such thing as inflation. But there's a lag right. to these things, right? And there's also like, it's not a simple like direct cause and effect relationship. There's like a multitude of different factors. It's so hard for me because like I see the 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 tangible real world of like, if this was gold and you had a hundred golds i don't know units of gold <laughs> you had a hundred of those if you had a hundred of those you would feel very rich if everyone else only had like two or three golds but then somebody else shows up and they were just like yeah i dug up these 50 golds now your hundred is worth less like i get that just because of the pool available yeah but also think about how the gold is retrieved it's not as simple to acquire gold right. as it is to print okay. money. Okay. Yeah. No. So like there's all and, and there, there's this there's a scarcity thing here too. Well, and there's a confusion about like creating wealth. Right. And printing true. A currency. Very true. This right? is a good distinction. Like, like yes. there's there's a you know, I there's kind of two different, so like the pie of yeah. resources mm-hmm. is like a metaphor that's often used in economics. And I think it's like sometimes it's definitely right. used differently in different instances. And I don't think, I I think in terms of wealth, there is no limited pie, right? Like that's infinite, right? There's right. all sorts of ways yeah. of innovation and technology Absolutely. that we can create yeah. wealth, right? And prosperity. But in terms of but creating but creating prosperity means you're creating something of value and simply printing something that is a a, a way of yeah. measuring value, you're not actually creating value. You're just creating more of that measurement, which actually means you're devaluing yeah. the things that are valuable. Yeah. Right. If right. if there if were two billion sense. Picasso paintings, my one wouldn't be as valuable as opposed to this right. I don't know right. how many Picasso paintings there are, but you get my point. Um, like if there were just more, yes. <laughs> it would mean less to have one. It's like, yeah, it's like right. Pokemon cards have been printing since the nineties, but it means a lot to have a first edition, uh, first edition holographic Charizard because there's like a thousand of them. We're talking a hundred thousand yeah. dollars. Yeah, dude. Difference. Yeah, what? dude. <laughs> Wild. Man, I, That's I have. insane. What freaks I are out there that even, have that much money to I spend didn't even, on that? I didn't get to go garage selling once this year, and I just wanted to go find <laughs> Those Pokemon, Pokemon cards, oh my dude. God, at Pokemon a garage cards sale. are the original NFT. No joke. Right. Oh my god, they are actually. Yes. That's and a this really is, good observation. Again, <laughs> built-in scarcity is a reason why crypto addresses some of these problems things like nfts creates opportunity for uh long-term returns on art or your creation so like imagine if you're the one that created that pokemon card that sold for you know five dollars for a pack so it was you know a 25 cents card and now 20 years later it's selling for a hundred thousand dollars with an nft you can build in a digital contract that says Every time this is traded, I get 
yeah. 8%. Because of blockchain, baby. And so now that it's trading for $100,000, the artist is getting Buku bucks. a return on their art appreciating in value. I've which tried I think so is very hard cool. to understand NFTs. I shouldn't say that. I haven't tried well, that hard. Yeah. I've spent like probably 10 minutes next trying to episode. understand NFTs next, and I don't understand how about it. Next episode, <laughs> Yeah. let's do this. Let me, because okay. this is something I am interested in yeah, totally. and I'm still learning a lot about, but I would love to to head up the conversation Dude. next time. Let's do it. And maybe as I'm editing and listening through this, I'll edit it and then Torn, I'm so close to, to buying my own uh, cold storage <laughs> wallet. Like I have a bunch of, mm. I have a bunch of tabs open on Trying to choose. Where my is wallet. my little? I got yeah. one floating around somewhere. <laughs> what is it? What's a cold yeah, storage? Yeah, so it's a, it's a physical. Yeah. It's like a thumb drive what? or something that where like you can specifically store cryptocurrencies and yeah, it's a thumb drive. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> He's showing me his right now. What I said? Yeah, no, it's <laughs> okay, a thumb drive, on, but it's, it's specifically yeah. built no, it is to what interact you said. Yeah. with uh, the blockchain that like it communicates well, it interfaces well, and it's a place to buy send okay. transfer create because you can you can mint with certain wallets too you can mint your nfts um with certain mm-hmm. wallets oh so God. yeah i'm starting to dive into that world but okay yep uh henning this is something that we'll talk about especially when we talk about nfts and and uh yeah and, yeah and learning more about that i'm interested this is i mean uh, everyone listening is going to hear this but um i'm interested in the idea of the future of NFT. Me too. I've podcasting. been thinking about it so uh, much. Yep. <laughs> uh, the only thing that I have questions about is how um, ownership works or rights. I think that can all be written into into it. But like, you could maybe through a Patreon or something like that offer up an NFT version of your podcast, so someone could buy it and they now own that podcast but then you can i i think right mm. into the agreement like well okay you own it but like it it's allowed to like be streamed and things it, like that let's next um, episode i have i have so many yeah, ideas next episode, already. We'll, we'll, but wow yeah. cool okay yeah. public sentiment inflation money yep. we talk about golds pokemon cards now okay so and this is why it all ties <laughs> in and maybe it's maybe i'm getting it confused but it also it all feels like a way that MMT proponents talk about MMT is that like the money is valuable because we believe it is, you know, like GameStop was valuable when it was because enough people believed it. mm. Bitcoin is valuable. Yes, it's scarce, but you know, there are plenty scarce things in the world that people think are absolute garbage. So like scarcity doesn't necessarily mean valuable. And I think the value attribution is very often public sentiment. For sure. Well, okay. Hold on. Scarcity is a huge part of it, but also like desire desirability, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. if nobody, if there's only like one pile of dog shit and nobody wants it, then no, it's True. not gonna be worth a million dollars, right? right. <laughs> it's probably a bad unless, metaphor, but yeah, like, unless you know it's a saying. frozen pile of mammoth shit in the glaciers that now we can like Jurassic Park our exactly. mammoths back into then the world or whatever. Everybody <laughs> wants it then. Yeah. So, right. Um, yeah. so yes, I guess classically on brand proponents of MMT, uh, it's gone. There are elements of truth and it's been taken too far. Right. Okay. So like if, if the, if part of the theory is 
Now don't. That's gonna be like quoted. No, from like, that's gonna no. like show up on Twitter that's like not five the sound years bite. from now. I promise. No. <laughs> No, no, no. But there's, um, so if part of the thinking is, I'll qualify it, if part of the thinking is that sentiment is a part of what derives value, then like, sure, that's true to some extent, but that is not the only way that value is derived. And scarcity, I think, is a, is, um, a more, has an outsized impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is separate in my mind related but distant to mm-hmm. the idea that you can simply um like create value out of thin air yeah and i want to add something to this because which is what printing money is right like you just print and print and print and that's creating value out of nothing and this is going to be very controversial what i'm about to say but i'm gonna say it anyway the idea that um, it's all about how it's perceived may be true. To some extent. Because the masses perceive that. But the people with the most influence are far too smart to be duped by that. And so while the masses in general might not as a whole like be able to understand how scarcity works... The people that are in control and actually like have supply chains and are running these businesses are going to kind of prove that wrong. Does that make sense? Well, like, okay, look, you could be a supplier and you could be trying to supply the world with a product that nobody wants. And if nobody wants it, then nobody's going to buy it and Mm -hmm. it doesn't have any value. But if it's a product that people want, Mm -hmm. scarcity is the name of the game, right? So like, Maybe value is what gets you in the room, but like scarcity is what gets you like to the next level. Right. Right. So, but but I guess what I'm saying is like, there's people arguing that inflation doesn't matter. You can print money and nothing's going to happen. But the smartest people that are actually controlling everything and actually not controlling everything, you know what I mean? Like, but actually like have these massive supply chains and everything that doesn't fly with them. They know how all this works. And they're like, well, no, well, you can say that this doesn't happen, but like we know what's going on and we're going to our prices are going to increase. And that's going to reflect that's going to prove that inflation is happening. Well, and how about like the inflationary Unless you have fixed prices, which then creates which then creates <laughs> scarcity. Right. It's a vicious cycle. You set a price ceiling. Scarcity will follow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the. So, um the fact yeah, that you're fine. hold yeah, on, let ahead. me just say this: the fact that like you, no, no, I'm totally losing my train <laughs> so of thought. Damn it! No, oh God, what was it? Supply chains and people, and oh, the fact that when you this quantitative easing, this flooding the money supply benefits wealthy individuals mm-hmm. who have assets in the stock market. Yes. And hurts average Joes who are, and Josephinas, or whatever the female version is, who are just trying to save a little bit of money. I mean, that, like, doesn't that demonstrate that it's not just a value Mm. proposition, that there are, like, real world impacts? Yeah, I mean, for the record, I agree with you. And I've had, I have agreed with you all day. Um, 
But right. so <laughs> the nice. uh, the it's still <laughs> fascinating to me that like even if value is the thing that gets you in the door, we got to admit like just like you said like the Fed is there and they create the expectation that two percent inflation happens every year, right? And in my mind, that's just really good mm-hmm. marketing. Like even if you <laughs> even if some of us don't like, <laughs> yeah. You're more of a libertarian than you ever knew. Even if some of us don't like what they're selling, like they're good at marketing, right? Because they set the expectations well and they continue to promise value. Now, the promise of value. They're also the only one marketing. So. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I have my own problems with the Fed. I did not like yelling. Jerome Powell has his own shit. Um, and uh, I mean, it's like the fourth branch of government that no one talks about, you know? <laughs> totally, mm-hmm. dude. Totally. It's so weird. Oh because God. Congress gave up on. There's a whole book Congress called Congress gave up the on Fed being in charge of the fucking money. So, like, yeah. I guess let's make the Fed do it. Right. Anyway. Yeah, totally. That's like Congress's thing. It's they just true. abdicate power until they're like, true. what? Nothing. They're right. just like people on Twitter who yeah. yell at each yeah, other. Like, true. fuck that. Uh, oh gosh, I lost my. Okay, so it's good marketing now. So but, oh no, I was so gonna make what, a bad joke. What the Fed has in like marketing power? That okay. Granted, long term, I see this going uh, very similarly, if not the exact same way. So I will call that shot before I say what I'm about to say because it might make you angry. But what? <laughs> but what the Fed and the oh, U.S. No. dollar have going for them that the currency of Venezuela never did is that we are still a reserve currency, <laughs> and that is one hell of a marketing chip. That makes us look good until we're not a reserve currency, and that's obviously like the caveat, right? But the world True. likes yeah. us. totally, yeah, and that's why <laughs> exactly. I like our credit rating the world matters, likes us, right? The world still right. thinks yeah, exactly. the U.S. dollar yeah, is totally. one of the best things to reserve on, right? And because yeah. it actually so, is. It, like, we as Americans get used to the U.S. dollar being the U.S. dollar. Like, uh, globally, individuals have a relationship with the U.S. dollar that we do not. Um, because they, they're on the outside looking in, right? And they're spending euros or whatever the hell they spend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whatever it is. But it's like, it's like yeah. as a reserve currency... It's like we're the new gold standard, and that makes it really easy for the Fed to be like, fuck it, just put more dollars out. People will like it. Yo, that's why we should go back to the gold standard. I think mm-hmm. that's a pipe dream that's long past, but. <laughs> <laughs> of course it's a pipe dream, but it's a good one. Uh, this is also, you know, just talking about currencies and value. I really wanted to. There's a cryptocurrency that's directly tied to the value oh. of the yen. And I really wanted to buy it because I was like, I could see Japan being like innovative in this market. And it it's tied with it's like a US dollar translation to yen. But it's a cryptocurrency. So like if if the yen increases in value as far as how it's rated against the US dollar, good luck. You're making money and it's been going up. <laughs> Has it been going up? But oh cr- it be, shoot. There's me. so many restricted cryptocurrencies in the united states that like you have to do these weird swapping things and you have to like use they're like sorry we don't want you to trade this in the united states you're like but it seems good (laughs) Mm. i guess i didn't expect that because they've just been like mired in kind of like stagflation for so long that like i just didn't i don't know anything about their cryptocurrency 
And I also don't fully even understand cryptocurrency. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, get there. we'll get there. We'll get there because I want to talk about all this, and I want to. I want to try. There's a lot to talk about, but I want to try and talk about like its scarcity. Mm-hmm. Talk about um, why the government wants to get their hands on it. Fed coin. Yeah, red flag. <laughs> Big red flag. That was Janet Yellen's idea. Fed coin. It's like this sounds like that the US dollar with more steps. Hashtag Fedcoin. <laughs> oh, you just wait oh, until 2022 when I unleash th- Highline Coin. Ooh. Oh yes, that'd be fun. <laughs> Can we have our own and beer call it- currency and coffee, yeah. <laughs> whiskey oh, pennies, whiskey like Stanley Nichols. Yo, mm. actually, no joke though. The actor who plays Stanley on The Office made a cryptocurrency called Stanley Nichols. <laughs> No, no, wait, wait, here, wait, really? wait, wait, wait. Low key. I gotta get me some. Stanley Nichols. Are they just like mellow? Do they rise? Slowly? I have no clue. It's uh, just he he's just gone full on crypto guy. And it's very fun to me. That's awesome. So here's the thing. Just a little teaser why the government wants in on this so bad. It's very secure. And this is again why I think there's such a push for gains tax. Because one of the greatest trades, no, the greatest investment ever just occurred recently, and it was with a Shiba coin, which was a direct competitor to Dogecoin. Dogecoin to the moon, diamond hands. Meme, yeah, just these (laughs) meme coins. But I believe this person invested $10,000 in February. Their wallet, that $10,000 since February 2021, just last month appreciated Whoa. $138 million. Oh my God. We got to get into that at some this point. That's what we're saying, Kat. The thing Jeez. is, is these, it's, this is what's so cool is because <laughs> there is a lot of, frankly, young people that are incredibly intelligent and savvy when it comes to this kind of stuff. I don't understand because like these coins are confusing to access until they're on a main trading site like coinbase or whatever some of the I mean, other cash are, app works right where it's like a stock market yeah yeah or like even venmo now you can buy like crypto with it so it's like until it's on a main market and it's consumer friendly there's a lot of you have to like download weird wallets and do all these swaps and like different browsers and it's confusing i don't get it and some of it seems sketchy Right, you're like some dude on like whatever Reddit's like follow this link and, but the people that are intelligent and can track this down and are savvy with this, can take you know a thousand even if you had a thousand dollars and turn it into a hundred million dollars or whatever like, not the government doesn't like that but, that's really empowering to to do they not like it because they can't tax it yeah, <laughs> that's what right. I think right. right 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 they're like, and this is why I think they're they're pushing for this capital gain thing is because a lot of people invested in crypto, uh, one with stimulus checks just in general over the years, and people are making a lot of money. And that's why last year you saw like the, the push, the IRS being like, be sure that you claim any gains that you have on crypto. Mm. And everyone's like, how about no? Fuck you, IRS. Yeah, right? And so there's definitely a push there. Um, there's conflict there. Um, which I think is very interesting and, you know, mm-hmm. something, something we'll talk about. Next episode. Next episode. Which reminds me, 
will not be next week. Not next week. The whatever that day is. 17th. The 11th. But we will be recording on the 17th. And yes. then we'll produce it hopefully sometime shortly thereafter. <laughs> or Ye- publish it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yes. Uh, just so everyone knows. Um, we will be recording Friday the 17th. Mm-hmm. Then we're throwing a cocktail party in Billings on the 18th. Henning will be there. Kat will be there. Um, our we'll take photos. Beautiful dear Tim Legacy <laughs> is hosting it. Um, and I'm sure there'll be a bunch of other lovely people there. Henning, yeah, you were invited was, to yes. this, right? I will be there. Yep. Great, because you're invited. <laughs> yeah. I'm oh, inviting you. <laughs> uh, and so it'll probably <laughs> realistically come out like Monday, the 20th, the 21st, whatever day that is. And that will be my we'll final be. episode for now, we'll say. Mm-hmm. And that is Henning's final episode for a period of Crypto. time. I keep saying that. <laughs> you just got to... Crypto and dreams of the future mm-hmm. are on the docket. Yes, yep. yes. Mm-hmm. To to close in this this year, and uh, this week off, and and a couple weeks off for Christmas is going to give Cat and I some time to to do some fun, cook up the recipes for next and, year, and some structural stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I don't know why I just thought of this. This has nothing to do with what you just said, but did the uh, you mentioned Cash App and all I wanted to say was don't worry about Jack leaving Twitter. He still has Cash App. He's doing just fine. I wasn't worried about him. He's still like his partial owner of Twitter, right? His net worth is yeah, like he's 15 fine. billion or something. So. Ugh, he can keep growing that beard. Goat man, yeah, as my yeah. dad calls him. Uh, okay, wait, wait. Before we actually go, I love this. You guys may be familiar with the picture, I believe it was Stalin, that then edited out a picture, right? Have you seen the picture floating around that is the new CEO of Twitter with Jack Dorsey? And then it shows the the edited picture and Jack Dorsey's just vanished. (laughs) Yes. I've seen that. Strong work. Yep. Jeez. It'd be great to know the, I don't know, internal politics there. What it, do you actually want to know? We can guess. I kind of do. I think it would be just exhausting, bit, just as exhausting to listen to as listening to <laughs> anything happening in Congress. Anything else? Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Fair. <laughs> Damn. What a, this was a good one. Thanks, friends. I loved it. This this was a good one. Uh, yeah, so this was a fun conversation. I like these kind of conversations because they're Yo, really in. applicable to life. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this is real stuff that affects everyone, mm-hmm. which is cool. I like Cheers. that. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Cheers. See you in a couple weeks. Yep. Thank you for joining us on the Whiskey Bench. If you would do us a favor, please tell a friend about the show in person with a text or by sharing about it on social media. You can join us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest, all at Whiskey Bench Pod. And don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Remember, always drink responsibly, and cheers to a fulfilled life with all its beauty. Thank mm-hmm. you.
and welcome to No Normal People. I'm Stephen. And I'm Dixie Lee. The internet didn't need another podcast interviewing the same famous authors, artists, and thought leaders. Dixie, my friend Bailey educated me about a word called sonder, and this is the realization that any stranger or passerby you see has a life equally complex, deep, and vibrant as your own. So join us every Tuesday as we talk to the normal people in our lives and hopefully inspire sonder in yours. No normal people. It's like Humans of New York, but a podcast, and in Montana. Highline Media Network, artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.